All right, as you're having a seat, please turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want, I want you just to think for a minute, what, what is the good life for you? Like, how would you, how would you define that idea? Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a show on Netflix. It's called Amazing Interiors, and it profiles people who spend just like crazy amounts of money on their houses because for them, the good life includes uh, doing something pretty unique, pretty unusual to their house. So one guy, uh, he just he invested a fortune into, in a sense, making his, his whole house into a, a cat playground for his 22 cats, right? And so, I mean, literally every night he's got this mound of cats on his bed, which I go, oh man, that's, that's like hell. But for him, that's, that's the good life, right? Uh, another lady, she is completely into pink, right? She wears pink clothes, pink shoes, her hair is pink, everything is absolutely pink, her whole house. So she redid her whole house in pink, Actually, so one, at one point she was dating a guy and she discovered that he was colorblind and couldn't see the color pink, so she broke up with him, right? Because pink is, that's whatever, that's just part of, of life for her. Now, I know those are kind of ridiculous illustrations, but um, when you ask people to more thoughtfully consider what defines a good life, there are a few themes that begin to emerge. One of those is, am I known and loved? For my life to be to be really good, I need to be known as I am and also loved. Uh, is my life significant? Do I matter? Do I have a purpose and a meaning here? Am I making a difference? The third issue that comes up is this. Uh, am, am, I, am I adequate? Uh, do I have what it takes? So maybe I'm cr- surrounded by a group of people who love me and care for me and I've got a purpose, a mission in life. But do I have what it takes? Do I have the, the strength and the ability and the skill and the personality to do what I feel like I should be doing in this world to make a difference? Those are the, really the, the deep questions that reside in everyone's heart. And the Bible tells us that they're only answered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? In, a, in a genuinely meaningful and enduring way, those deep questions that are in everyone's heart are only answered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul will argue in this opening section of the book of Philippians, that it is the gospel or participation in the gospel itself that provides answer to these deep questions in our lives. So I want you to read with me, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 1. The apostle Paul writes, he says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, an interesting study, if you've never done it before, is to take uh, all of the introductions to Paul's letters and lay them out side by side. And what you discover is uh, each letter is unique. And the tone or the mood that Paul initiates with each letter is unique to the occasion in which he's writing. So sometimes he'll start a letter, and also he's just kind of mad. He's frustrated. He's angry. Uh, you know, like in Galatians, uh, where the, the gospel's being distorted, or in Corinthians, where they're just getting way off of the path. Oh, I don't know what that's for. Hold on. I'm going to tell you something. 
That's a surprise. Um, and, and each one has this unique tone. But in Philippians, where he starts is with just pure joy. Right? He's absolutely joyful and thankful because from the first day they heard the gospel, they didn't just believe it, but they jumped in. Right? He says, you participated, verse 5, in the gospel, which in uh, my translation says participation. Normally, it's translated fellowship, right? It's the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. And I want you to pause here on our study of Philippians for a second and tell me what comes into your mind when you think about fellowship. It's a very common word. Paul actually uses it six times here in the book of Philippians. What is it that comes to your mind when you think fellowship? Worship is when we sing. Right? And then fellowship is talking beforehand and talking afterwards, right? That's, that's fellowship. Or if you're in a Bible study or something, you know, you, you talk to your friends before, then you have Bible study, and then you talk afterwards, so that's fellowship, fellowship. Or you go out to lunch with Christian friends, you go, that's fellowship, right? That's what we often think. Uh, for me, fellowship means uh, potluck dinners. Right? So that's what this image is about. I'm going to tell you a story here in just a second. So I grew up in different churches as we moved around the country, but one of the churches I grew up in was Bethel Grove Bible Church. And we had fellowship once a month, which means, okay, you're going to really relate to this conversation in just a second, okay? Uh, once a month, we had a potluck dinner in the basement, and I was thinking about uh, those moments in my growing up years, and so, you know, I just kind of followed that rabbit trail, and I got online, and I actually found the basement of Bethel Grove Bible Church, right? This, this is where fellowship happened. This defined fellowship for me, and, and I found this you know, 360 image that somebody put online, and I will tell you, absolutely nothing has changed in this room whatsoever. In fact, I probably made some of those stains 35 years ago on that particular carpet. And, and so this defined fellowship for me, and what I experienced was that uh, fellowship was frightening. Because what that meant is that all of the ladies would make a casserole, and you had no idea what was actually in the casserole, but you had to eat the casserole. So as I was following this rabbit trail and I found this nice panorama image of the basement of Bethel, Bible, uh, Bethel Grove Bible Church, I also found that somebody had tagged the fellowship meal there with this image. <laughs> and and if, you know, if you're a, a kid, that's scary. Right? I, I, it was funny because I showed, I showed this picture to Matt Morton and he goes, I've had that casserole, right? It's like, oh, what is that? And your mom says, just eat it. That's, that's, that's fellowship in my mind. And, and I, you know, I got to tell you, that's probably not what Paul had in mind, right? Nor is it just the conversation at the beginning or the end. Fellowship, koinonia means to have something in common. Koinos means common. Koinonia means to hold something in common. And Paul tells us there are two things that we hold in common, a shared identity And a shared purpose. If you believed in Jesus Christ, you are, Paul says, in Christ. You're in Christ and I'm in Christ. We have a shared identity in Christ. So I want you to hold your place here in Philippians and turn back to Genesis chapter 1. All the way at the beginning. First book, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth 
and over every moving thing that moves on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, chapter 2, verse 20. So the man gave names to all of the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So, Adam goes out and he, he gets busy and he names everything that he sees. But who named Adam? God, God named Adam, right? And, and only God could name Adam. And so God explained to Adam where he came from, where his body came from, where his soul came from, where his spirit came from. He, he explained to him who he was in relationship to the earth and the people that would come later after him and who he was in relationship to God and all of the beasts of the field. He showed, himself who he showed him who he was and who he was in relationship to all other things because only God could tell him that. And what he understood was that his identity was not only shared with God, he was in the image of God, but it was derived from God. And he really didn't have a sense of identity apart from God. And the same is true for us. You can only know who you are, and then consequently why you're here, if you listen to the voice of God telling you who you are and why you're here. And I think that probably one of the great crises of our generation is that we've stopped listening to the voice of God telling us who we are. And so we have a whole generation who doesn't really know who they are. Which is, you know, we inherited that from Adam and Eve, right? They walked out of the garden and they stopped listening to the voice of God. Instead, they began listening to this dark voice inside of them and the voices around them. And we do the same in our generation. And as a result, we're really, really confused about who we are, even down to the very issue of not knowing are we male or female. Okay, that's, that's an indication of not listening to the voice of God because fundamental to your identity is male and female. In the beginning, God created man in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. And so it's just a symptom, right? But it's a symptom that's been going on for all of human history. We can't know who we are apart from God telling us who we are. And if we listen to other voices, we'll always be confused. So what happens the moment that you believe in Jesus? You're born again. So you're born physically the first time. And confused. You enter into this world separated from God, so you're not listening to the voice of God. And so you've got to pursue different things to figure out who you are. And a lot of times it's just uh, either it's that dark voice or it's just the stuff that you do or the things that you like or your hobby. You're trying to find that identity. But the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit says, Let me tell you who you are. You're in the image of God. That image is broken, but now my Spirit lives in you and I'm remaking the image. And so you can be settled and confident when you are in Christ. And then if you know you're in Christ, you know why you're here. Your purpose flows from your identity. So if you turn back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, I am joyful, exceedingly thankful in all of my prayers. Why? Because of your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. Now we share something in common. And it is this shared purpose. So from the very first day they understood. They believed. And then they jumped in wholeheartedly. And so they prayed for Paul when he was in prison. They provided for him when he was taking the gospel to other cities. They provided for the poor who were in Jerusalem who had needs. They proclaimed the gospel in their own community. Even when they were suffering. In other words they were all in. And Paul says this is the life. 
This is the only life, in fact, that is rich and full and satisfying and answers those deepest longings of your heart. Do I matter in this world? Do I matter to any people around me? Do I have what it takes? All of those are answered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Paul is going to make three points. First is this. Fellowship in the gospel, like fully participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ, provides a life of eternal influence. Your life matters. So I want you to read with me again, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of or because of your fellowship in the gospel from the very first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what is the good work that will be perfected until the day of Christ Jesus? I'm going to um, I'm going to just like burst a verse bubble for you here. And some of you are going to be just really, oh man, you're not going to like what I have to say. So I'm just going to ask you, don't, don't walk out yet until I kind of explain where I'm, I'm coming from. Chapter 1, verse 6, Philippians. I've heard this verse quoted... Thousands of times. Uh, I've heard, you know, probably hundreds of sermons on Philippians 1 verse 6. And it's always with this idea in mind. Uh, God's going to continue the process of making you more like Jesus for your whole life. Right? Have you heard that before? I'm just going to tell you, chapter 1 verse 6 is probably not about your personal sanctification. Now that said, God is working continuously in your life if you're a believer. So that's still true. I just don't think that's what's happening in chapter 1, verse 6. So, if you turn over to chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, or to desire and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, God is working in your life. So, take a deep breath and relax. I'm just telling you, chapter 1, verse 6 is probably not about that. It's not about your personal sanctification. Chapter 1, verse 6 is most likely about the progress or the advancement of the gospel. The good work that God began in the Philippian church is that they're the first church that Paul planted that, man, they got it. They said, okay, our mission on earth is to participate in the gospel. So notice what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The gospel's still advancing even though I'm in prison and even though I'm still suffering. And I know that you share with me in that desire and you're even willing to proclaim and suffer for the gospel. And so he says, that good work that God has done in you, he will continue to do in your church and other churches and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. In fact, the gospel will continue to go out until Jesus returns. Then, church, we can retire. Right? Then evangelism and discipleship stops because Christ has returned. But until that point in time, that's the cause. right? That's the great calling. And the wonderful news is that is a cause that will triumph. right? We know that it will end in victory for Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, that's what we're called to do. And that's an eternally significant calling for us in our lives. So as Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Which is incredibly encouraging news because there's so much of work that we do today that feels like vanity, right? I mean, you're, just, you're working, but what's actually happening? You know, you... You clean your house and then it's dirty in 10 minutes, right? You mow the lawn and then it grows again. Or you do a project for your boss and he says, we've changed plans, we're not going to use that, and throws it in the trash. Right? I mean, that's, that's how so much of life feels. 
You know, I've told you about my, my first job at, uh, at Kmart in the garden center, right? And um, my manager, he would, he'd start me on a job, and then he'd take me off that job before it was done, and he'd put me on a new job, and then he'd take me off that before it was done, and he'd put me on a new job. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is making me crazy. Until I finally realized that I'm not there to finish tasks. As hard as that may be for a really task-oriented person, that's not why I'm there. I'm there to do my work as unto the Lord which means do it joyfully, do it with a submissive attitude, do it uh, in such a way that I honor Jesus, and if I get pulled off that task, just light into the next task with equal energy and joy and enthusiasm and submission, and maybe in that process I get to speak about Jesus, but in all that I do, I'm representing Jesus, and that's why I'm actually there. And no manager who frustrates me can take that away from me. In fact, he may give me a greater opportunity in all those frustrations to demonstrate Jesus Christ. And so the labor that we do for the progress of the gospel is eternally significant because people matter to God. And in fact, people matter more than anything to God because people are enduring. And so when you invest your life in people finding and following Jesus, that lasts forever. Think about the Great Commission. What does it say? Go, therefore, and make disciples or followers of Jesus Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Well, baptism means, literally the idea is identify them with. That is, identify them with Father, Son, and Spirit. Teach them to find their identity in the one who alone can proclaim who they are. Now, teach them to be Trinitarian. They are children of God. He is their father. They are uh, saved by Jesus Christ. He's rescued, redeemed, transformed them, and transferred them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. They're indwelt by the Holy Spirit who can empower them to become different people. Now, baptize them. Identify them with Jesus so they can understand who they genuinely, truly are. That's your mission. Right? And no one can disrupt that mission. And it will be a victorious mission. And so... Paul says that first big question in your life, life, do you have meaning? Do you have purpose? The answer is absolutely yes. In the progress of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, the fellowship of the gospel, you have a life of eternal influence. Second, fellowship in the gospel provides a life of continual grace. Read with me chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are, same word, fellow shippers in grace with me. You participate or you have fellowship in grace. Now, when, when uh, normally we talk about this idea of grace, we're attaching it to the gospel, right? Which is uh, God unconditionally loves you and accepts you in Jesus. He knows all your faults and all your brokenness. And yet he says, I love you in Jesus. I sent my son Jesus to die for you. And once you believe in him, you are continually loved by God. You have his grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor. But for Paul, grace is also an ongoing thing. When you are fellowshipping or giving your life, pouring out your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you experience this continual power to accomplish the will of God in your life. Grace is an ongoing thing. So Paul would save himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He'd say, you know, I have this, this thorn in my flesh, and no one likes a thorn. And he wouldn't say what the thorn was. Some people think uh, maybe it was a struggle with particular sin. 
Maybe it was a physical issue. I think he leaves it ambiguous so we can all say, yeah, I've got one of those, right? And I don't like it and I want it out. And so Paul said, I begged the Lord and I kept going back and I begged him and I begged him and I begged him, say, please, Lord, take the thorn out. And God said, no. He said, no. He said, my grace will be continually sufficient for you because power in your life is actually going to be perfected in your weakness. So Paul embraced the weakness. So therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions for Christ's sake. Because then when I'm weak, I'm strong. One of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. Because I'd rather be strong and appear strong and know I'm strong. And yet God says, you know what? You're at your, actually at your greatest when you're weak. Because then people know it's, it's me. They know it's me. But one of our challenges is this. What we want is we want God's power for our lives. right? We want God's power for our will for our choices. You know, God, bless my choice of a job. Bless my choice of a boyfriend. Bless my choice of a career. Bless, God says, I want you to align yourself with my will and then experience my power. Hudson Taylor once said, God's will done God's way never lacks for God's supply. So when I turn my life over to Jesus Christ and I say, Thy will be done. I begin to experience on a continual basis the power of God, day in, day out, moment by moment. So the question for you this morning is simply this. Have you poured it out for Jesus? Or are you grasping and holding it back? Do you want to know if you're adequate for the tasks that God has called you to? The answer is absolutely yes. Have you embraced that calling? Which is participation in the gospel. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to Explode one more verse for you real quick here. Uh, maybe the most well-known, well quote, often quoted verse in the book of Philippians. You can probably say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Which uh, I'm just going to destroy this for you. It doesn't mean you can um, lift more on your deadlift. That's, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it printed, printed on a thousand t-shirts. That's not at all what it's about. Paul says, I'm suffering now, but I've learned how to live well suffering. And I've learned how to w- live well when I have abundance. I've learned how to live well in every situation because I've given my life entirely to the cause of Christ. I can do all things. I can live in all of life's circumstances with joy because of him who strengthens me. So, are you adequate for the task? Absolutely. A life of continual grace. Third, fellowship in the gospel provides a life of genuine community. Read with me chapter 1, verse 7 again. Paul says, It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers or fellowshippers in the grace of God with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's just, that's like super passionate language. Paul says, my, That affection is my. My inner being just stirs with longing for you because I love you so deeply. He would say the same thing to the Thessalonian believers. He said, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but actually our our own lives because you had become that dear to us. Paul didn't have these kinds of relationships before Jesus. Before Jesus, he didn't have this level of of intimacy with people. He didn't experience this. But I would argue, this is probably the most conscious, deepest longing 
in our generation? Am I known and loved? Am I known and loved? Um, as I mentioned last week, I, um, I work out at a gym, my current gym, it's a CrossFit gym, and I know you're, you're like, no way, you don't look like a CrossFitter, but they let skinny people sign up too. You know, most CrossFitters are jacked, but you know, uh, I, I like, this is my favorite gym I've ever been in, and uh, probably the reason is because of the community. So I was working out last year with uh, a friend of mine, and he's, he's not a believer, he's not, he doesn't follow Jesus, but uh, he said to me at one point, knowing that I work at a church, he goes, you know, CrossFit is my church. Like, hmm. Interesting that he would be that self-aware. He has, he's thrown himself into the CrossFit community, and I believe that's probably why CrossFit right now is so explosive, not in the U, just in the U.S., but throughout the world, is because it's, it's providing a place of community for people. Last year, Tristan and I went down to Houston and... Um, I don't know why, but we went to uh, Whole Foods and we walked around and looked at expensive food, right? And um, we got a cup of coffee down in the cafe, went upstairs, and there's an area where you can sit and you can have fellowship, so to speak, right? There, there were signs on the wall and it showed the events, the gathering events that they had every night of the week, right? So there was um, Bunko Night and Mexican Train Night and Spades Night and Poetry Reading Night and whatever, and the message was, come find community, Come find community, because everybody's looking for it. You guys remember the uh, TV show Cheers, some of you who are a little older? Right? It's kind of making its way back. Uh, Cheers is about a bar. It's actually not about a bar. It's, it's actually about community. Right? Remember the theme song? It's okay, you can just sing it out. Let, no, you don't, just, uh, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. That's, that's what Cheers was about. It's about community. You may find it in a bar. You might find it in a CrossFit gym. You might find it in an expensive grocery store. You might find it in a club. You might find it, but you're looking for it. Everybody wants to find that place where they're known and loved. And what the gospel tells us is you can find the richest and deepest relationships only in Jesus. Why? Because we have a shared identity. And it's fundamental It's who we truly are. If you have believed in Jesus, you are in Christ. So Jesus himself would say, who is my mother and who are my brothers? It's those who do the will of my father. Tighter than, closer than even my biological relationships. Because of the shared identity, you can find reconciliation and forgiveness in this place. You're not going to find perfect relationships. Christians bang each other up. Okay? We knock heads. But you can find the basis for forgiveness and reconciliation. Because I have been forgiven so much, I can't actually hold that grudge against you. And you can't hold that grudge against me because we've been forgiven in Christ. We have a reason to forgive. We have an understanding of forgiveness, an understanding of reconciliation. So it's not that there's never any conflict, but as the observers in the first century said, my, look how they love one another, how they take care of one another. They're concerned for one another. Why? Because they're all in Christ, and they recognize that they're family in Christ. We have a shared identity, and we have a shared purpose. And nothing builds deeper friendships among people than being in the trenches together. And that's why I loved team sports because you had teammates that you're suffering with in practice and you're sweating with in practice and then you're in the game together and, and you have this shared experience for a shared cause. 
And that's what we have in the body of Christ. So we can come together. And I've made friends with people who are completely and utterly different from me. I've made quickly friends, deep friendships with people that I can barely communicate across a language barrier. A translator helps us communicate. And we discover that what is most important in our lives, we share together with one another. We have this shared cause. Remember when when Jesus selected his disciples, he got 12. But two of those were Matthew and Simon the Zealot. Matthew, the traitor to Rome tax collector, and Simon, who was part of the insurgency movement against Rome. They came from absolutely, completely opposite political extremes. Their ideologies for life were completely opposite. And then they moved toward Christ, and they became one. They became one in Christ. J.R.R. Tolkien uh, wrote a series of books. It's called uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm sure a few of you have uh, read that or familiar with that. Remember the name of the first book? Fellowship of the Ring, right? Fellowship of the Ring, which wasn't cookies and coffee before they went to battle. The Fellowship of the Ring was the common cause that brought them together, and all of a sudden, these deep bonds of friendship were formed um, between men and hobbits and elves and dwarves and wizards and even trees, some, right, all came together. Why? Because they had this common cause and they found themselves together in the common cause. And as a result, it built these deep bonds of friendship. So you can be known and you can be loved because others can hear even the darkest things in you and they have to acknowledge that's in me as well. And the only thing that removes that is Christ in you. And the only thing that removes that is Christ in me. And so we can sit together at the foot of the cross, equally humbled by Jesus, equally exalted by Jesus. Not perfect relationships, but potentially the deepest relationships. United in a common identity, united in that common cause. So how do we apply this? Well, if I can't ask the the servers to go back and get us ready for communion, let me reiterate this. Every person that you know has some deep longings in their heart. Uh, we want to know that we matter to other people, that our lives are significant. We want, we want to know that uh, there's a reason for us to live and that we have what it takes to, to accomplish that. That is, we want influence. We need grace or power. We want genuine community. And it's only found in Jesus. So how do you find it? Well, as we said last week, you pour your life out for the gospel. And so this morning, as, as you're... You're, you're contemplating uh, this passage and we're thinking of communion, I want you to invite the Spirit just to dig down deep again into your heart and say, Lord, is there something that I've, I'm holding back? We talked about this last week and maybe there's still a level of resistance. Is there anything I'm holding back for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Communion's a great way to wrap up the service because the word communion actually means union with. It's the same idea as koinonia, in fact, Paul will say what we have this in common with Christ, we have shared our identity with him and from him. He is our, he's our, our rescuer, our redeemer. He's our, he's our hope. He's our salvation. And we share that with one another. We have a union together with Christ. Consequently, we have a union together with one another. And so we get it. Right? We understand who we are. We understand why we're here. And we understand who we are in relationship to God and who we are in relationship to one another and who we are in relationship to the earth and what our calling is. And that, men and women, that's just a gift. Now, will you share it? 
And so as we're served bread and cup, remember it's, it's the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that allowed you to have that union together with Christ and with one another. So let's just spend a few moments giving thanks for that. Right, if the men would come forward and serve us, we'll wait till everyone is served and then we'll, we'll take the bread and the cup together. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Then in the same way, he took the cup also after, cup, after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to allow your body to be broken and uh, your blood poured out so that we could be united with you, so that we we could know uh, who we are and why we're here. And I pray, Father, that we would, in fact, listen to your voice. It gives us uh, a sense of identity, but also a sense of purpose. Father, I, I pray that we would not lose track of who we are and why we're here. And we thank you that you made that possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for uh, rescuing us and thank you for uh, giving us meaning and purpose. I thank you for not just allowing us to continually drift. And I pray that you would uh, stir up our hearts with a really fresh sense of uh, passion and desire for those around us to know Jesus and follow him. Father, I pray for our congregation that you would build these really deep and rich bonds of friendship around the fellowship of the gospel, that, that we would be all in for Jesus and that we would hold nothing back. And that this week, even in a really fresh and powerful way, that we would see uh, your spirit moving in people's lives and drawing them to Jesus and releasing them from uh, just those bonds of, of, of sin and frustration and, and anger and fear and, uh, and really in death and separation. I pray that we would see those, that loosening work of your spirit. We would just be so thrilled to participate in that, have fellowship in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great week. Let me remind you on your way out, if you want to take an international student to lunch or have them into your home, grab a card on the right. We'll see you next week. <laughs>